I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. comes from Genesis, starting in the 49th chapter. When Jacob ended his charge to his sons, he drove his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph threw himself on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded the physicians in his service to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. They spent 40 days in doing this, for that is the time required for embalming, and the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Thus his sons did for him as he had instructed them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah, the field near Mamre, which Abraham bought as a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Took my love and I took it down. Climbed a mountain and I turned around. And I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills Till the landslide brought me down But before we wrap up this series, before we set the music and the message and the meaning of our services to this whole different key for the season of Lent, today we're, we're still with the Enneagram. Rooted in scripture and talking about, about family drama, and relationship with those who know us best and have the capacity to hurt us the worst. Who has had family drama? If you say not me, you are lying. It, it may not be on, on the top of the covers. 
It may be tucked underneath many layers of covers, but if you have a mama or your mama had a mama, you've had drama. <laughs> it, it, families just have their stuff. And we deal with drama at work and we deal with drama at school and we deal with drama in the church and there, but there is something, something wholly different about family drama that makes it so much harder to process and to deal with. And here's why. I think there are, are really four main reasons why family drama is so difficult and so much harder. I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I'm a three, so I think I'm right. So maybe listen. And so here are the four main reasons I, I would identify. First, um, family drama is incredibly hard because of all of the expectations. Oh my Lord, the expectations. We have expectations of our parents. We have expectations of our siblings. And then add in there our spouses too. And our parents have expectations of our spouses. And our spouses have expectations of our parents. And we just have all of these expectations, especially, especially of our parents. When we were kids, right? When we were kids, we thought our parents had all of the answers, all the answers. And then we grow up and we realize that parents have no answers at all, none at all. Parents have no idea what they're doing. The first infant that Chris will ever hold is ours in like a month. Parents have no answers. Chris will have no answers. I will have no answers. But Olive will expect that we will have all the answers. And we go into these relationships expecting our mom to be this way and our dad to be this way and our mother-in-law to be this way. And when they don't meet our expectations, the hurt is so real. And so one, we have, we have all these huge expectations. Two, why is family drama so hard? Two, because of all of that emotional intensity. So much emotional intensity. There is emotional intensity in family stuff that is unlike in any other space in our life. If you're on the freeway and you get ticked off, and you're like, I need to follow that person all the way to their work and confront them. You need counseling. You need help because you are not well. But when it comes to confronting your family, it's this whole other kind of, 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 of real thing. With, it, it matters a whole different way and it's never black and white and it's never easy and it's emotionally intense because you love each other and you care for one another, and yet this person has such the capacity to hurt you. It's personal. It's real. It's emotionally intense. Three, I, why is it so hard? Because, because also there, there's this power of negative memories. What is it about us? You can tell me you love me. Tell me how great of a sermon I preached and I will not remember it at all. But you tell me you hated my sermon and I will remember you forever. You will be forever seared into my memory. What is it about us? Why are we like this? Uh, it's and when it comes to family. I mean, we're, it's even worse with family, with all of our expectations and all of our emotional intensity and the power of of negative memories, it's even stronger. It's so baffling how some of the most formative memories of our lives, memories of our parents, memories of our siblings, are, are so negative. 
There, there's something that happens when we feel like we're being attacked or criticized or suffocated or manipulated or neglected or something bad happens to us that we just lock those memories away forever. So when you're dealing with family, you're not just dealing with that moment. You're dealing with all of the moments that came before it, right? So when Chris and I are arguing or when my dad and I are arguing or when my aunt and I are arguing, it's, it's, it's not just the two of us. It's my dad and me and it's all the stupid dad moments and all the stupid Michelle moments for the 35 years of our relationship. Chris has no idea what I'm doing this Tuesday, but he remembers what I said on that one Tuesday 12 years ago. Like This is how we are. And finally, four, why, why is family drama so hard? It's hard because of the expectations, all the emotional intensity, all the power of negative memories, right? And then four, all of the embarrassment we hold over past sins and, and mistakes in our families. Some of us live within families where there are, are still buried secrets waiting to be exposed. Oftentimes in our families, we don't, we don't deal with the embarrassment. We don't deal with the sin. And we pretend that nothing ever happened. No one ever said anything or did anything wrong. And we just sweep it under the rug, right? And this is different for all kinds of families for all different reasons. And then add in to all, all of this, the difference in age and upbringing and perspective. And it's just so hard. Family stuff is hard. And if we don't deal with it, if we don't deal with all the expectations and all the emotional intensity and all the bad memories and all of the suppressed embarrassment and secrets, if we don't deal with it, it will come back up. And it will deal with us. It will, it will come back up. I have been in hospital rooms over a dying parent where we had to call the police. I have been in funer at funerals where the police were called. A colleague of mine who, who does a lot of military funerals said he, he can't even count how many times a fight has broken out over who gets the flag. You know why? It's all that hurt, all that baggage. You don't, you don't push it down, you save it for later. And it comes up when we grieve. <coughs> it comes up. And that's what happens in today's scripture in Genesis. If you feel bad about your family, read the Bible and you're going to feel normal. <laughs> Parents, if you're like, I am a horrible, horrible parent, just go read Genesis 4. They've got two kids. One kills the other. And then it just gets progressively worse after that. Like each family, each generation in scripture, it gets so bad that in Noah's time, God's like, whoa, 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 we've just got to start this whole thing over. And then we get to, to Genesis 50, today's scripture. Did you hear it as, as Christian read it today? We've We've got the promised family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is the family that creates the family called Israel. But they're all jacked up. Like, they're so messed up. And Jacob, whose name literally means Israel because all his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, he is the worst. He's got all of these issues. 
and then he dies. Having never helped his children through all of those issues, all the family drama, and so they, like siblings fighting over who gets the flag at Arlington, they save it for, for their father's funeral. In verse 15 it says, And now that their father was dead, friends, grief is bad enough. It's bad enough on its own, but it's even worse when you have to deal with drama. And now that their father is dead, Joseph's brothers became, became fearful and said, now Joseph, he's going to show his anger and he's going to pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him. And so here's the situation. Joseph's the little brother. And what's lodged in the memories of these siblings, what is forever shrouded in sin and embarrassment and emotional intensity is the fact that when Joseph was much younger, his brothers sold him into slavery. They saw Joseph working in the field and he had this fancy coat on that his, his daddy Jacob had bought him and that he wore everywhere. And they're like, here comes, here comes their little brother working in the field, that little snot showing off daddy's jacket and they plot against him to kill him. There wasn't unanimous consent though to killing him. So another plan uh, comes up, it crops up. Instead, they're gonna sell their brother. They traffic their brother into slavery in Egypt, a place that, that he's never been. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't eat, eat their food. He's a slave in a foreign country because his brothers sold him. And what do they do? They take the fancy coat and they cut it up. They, they rip it up and they, they pour animals' blood on it and they take it to their dad and they say, Look, dad. Look, dad. An animal has killed Joseph. Feeling better about your family? Some of y'all are like, no, that is exactly my family. <laughs> Spot on. And so at their, their father's burial, at his funeral, these brothers now stand afraid that Joseph is going to, to pay them back for all the wrong they did. Because here's what actually happened. They sell their little brother into slavery in Egypt and Joseph ends up becoming the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, while over in Israel there's this great famine and people are starving and his dad and his brothers end up migrating to Egypt because there's no food in their land. They're going to die. But the brother who they sold and left for dead ends up being the brother who watches over them and feeds them and cares for them. Those are some family issues. This is the way family works, right? The very same brother who they sold and left for dead ends up being the brother who, who watches over them and feeds them and cares for them. And so they're now afraid at the funeral, now that that dad's dead, he's surely, Joseph's surely going to use his power and influence, made worse by all those expectations and all of those, those family secrets and all those bad memories and that emotional intensity, and he's going to give them what's been coming to them all along. And so they text Joseph furiously, right? 
Hey, so before, before dad died, he did instruct us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for all the horrible things they did to you. Sure he did. But when Joseph received their message, it says he just, he just wept. All of those expectations, all of those intense emotions, all of those memories and secrets and that cruelty washing over him. And in his tears, God began to do this healing work in him. Friends, I know, I know that some of you have been so profoundly hurt so deeply wounded, but, but sometimes, sometimes, if you're ever going to heal, you might have to hurt just a little bit more first. And it's possible that that may be absolutely too much for you to do right now. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know. I but I do know that if you want Jesus to heal it, if you want healing, you might have to sit in it for a second and hear what, hear what God has to say. It says that, that Joseph wept and his brothers threw themselves down before him in such this self-serving and self-preserving and not authentically remorseful at all way. Just ridden with self-serving fear for what Joseph would, would now do to them. But, but Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I God? Am I the one who is to punish you? Joseph doesn't live in the United States. There's no Bill of Rights. His brothers don't have any rights. They're not even citizens of Egypt. Joseph could banish him, hang him, or, or, or watch him starve in the streets. And the, and, and the Egyptians would not care at all. But Joseph says, Am I God? Am I God? Am I the one who is to punish you. For you intended to harm me, but God has intended it for good. Some of the worst moments of your life can lead you to some of the best places in your life if you let God into the hurt to, to begin a work of healing that, that, that God only can do. And so if you've got family stuff today, if, if you've got family stuff, and if it's hard because of the expectations, because of the intensity, because of the emotions and memories and secrets and embarrassment, today I wonder how God is calling you to do your, to do your part, to do what is uniquely your part to bring healing. Because some of us have been asking God to fix our family well, God might be calling us to face our family. Maybe, maybe friends, the prayer that God has called you to pray is, is to pick up the phone. 
Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe God is saying, quit just praying for your sister and call your sister. Quit just praying for your dad and call your dad. And as you and as you pick up that phone, as you begin to wrestle with what is uniquely your part in the healing, I urge you to keep in mind how how the expectations and the emotional intensity and the horrible memories, they all seek to work against the healing. As you pick up the phone, I urge you to keep the words of Scripture today in mind. Am I God? Am I the one who is to punish? You see, the, the point of this series is not for you to wonder and try to figure out what number your mother-in-law is. She's just unhealthy. That's a given. The point of the series is, isn't figuring out what number your mother-in-law is, what number they are, so that, to add to your ammunition for how they're the problem, even if they are, but, but to know who you are so that, that Jesus can lead you in the parts of healing that are uniquely yours to own. And hear me when I say that there are parts of the healing, there are parts of the healing that are not yours to own. But I promise you, you have a part. What is the hard, what is the hard and humbling part of the healing that God is calling you into? This is the question we answer alongside the Enneagram today. And to do so, I want to talk about one more piece of how the Enneagram works. Unlike any other personality indicator, the Enneagram assumes that you have some part of each of those nine numbers in you. Though particular numbers are higher and heightened, but because you have some part of each of the nine numbers in you, while it will not be natural or, or second nature, you have the ability in, in growth and in stress to forego your normal posture for, for the healthy and whole or deeply toxic postures of another number. It's, it's this part of the Enneagram that we call growth and stress. This is one additional piece that, that the Enneagram doesn't just say you are this number and this is all you're ever going to be, but it also helps you see that there are pathways, connections to other numbers that, that can mark a trajectory of growth for you. We've talked a lot about how the Enneagram affects you under stress, right? But today, as we, we, we seek to answer this question, the, what is the hard and the humbling part of, of, of the healing that God is uniquely calling me into? The thing that feels different from your normal posture and yet feels right. Let's talk about how we move in lines of growth on the Enneagram. First eights, we, we need you all in our family dynamics. We really need you. Because your, your, your normal posture is that you don't run from problems. You run at them. And, and this can be the best thing that's ever happened to a family that consistently sweeps trash under the rug, right? But that comes naturally to you. It, while it comes naturally, it's not the hard part of the healing that is uniquely yours to own. 
is not hard. On the road to healing aids, God's hard and humbling words for you are deal with the issue, deal with the issue, but don't destroy the family. This is why eights, it's good for you to study and lean into the natural and healthy rhythms of, of the two. So that in growth, you may offer an open spirit and, and, and caring regard, even with those who you feel driven to cut off. Nines, we need you in the family as well. We need you because you are the peacemakers. You are the very best to have in conflict because you see both sides, all sides, but that's, but that's your natural inclination. That's not the hard part of the healing that is uniquely yours to own. And so on the road to healing the nines, hear God's hard and humbling words for you today. Stop being afraid of declaring what is right. Yes, there are multiple sides to consider, but sometimes there is a right side to defend, a wronged person to stand up for. This is why nines, it's good for you to study and lean into that natural and healthy rhythm of a three, of a, of a three, so that in growth, you do not, Retreat and run away, but energetically and, and self-bettering defend what is right. Ones, we need you in the family too. You're such a crucial part of the family because you know what is right and what is good. And unlike the nines, you have the ability to recall it and to name it. If anyone needs help remembering what happened that got us to this toxic place, ones you remember. You remember the grievances, you know the details, and you value accountability. But ones, this is your normal posture. And on the, on the hard and humbling road to healing, that's not what's uniquely yours to own now. Because it's not hard. Hear God's hard and humbling words for you today once. Focus on the big picture and the joy of right relationship or risk losing the connection all up in the weeds. This is why ones, it's, it's good for you to study and lean into the, the natural and healthy rhythms of, of a seven. So that in growth, you may offer spontaneous, joyful reconciliation, this joyful acceptance, rather than always calling out fouls. Twos, we, we need you in the family. We need you in the family because of your like superpowers of connection and empathy you have superpowers of empathy and helping and fixing. You want to help patch the hurt. You want to help solve the problem. You care. But, but twos, while that comes easily for you, that is not the hard and humbling part of the healing that you've got to, to, to wrestle and get into because it's not hard for you. 
Two is it's excruciating, but it, it resounds from the mouth of God to you today. Hear God's hard and humbling and not all that eloquent, actually, words for you. Get out of the middle. Stop playing referee twos and let others fight and figure it out. Because often when, when, when you've tried to solve the problem, it's only ever half healed. The rest of the hurt, the rest of the hurt with the, with, is under, with the mothballs under the rug. And the problem is, is never really solved. This is why, too, it's good for you to, to study and learn and learn from and lean into the natural and healthy rhythms of the four so that in growth you may pause from nurturing others all the time to nurturing and knowing yourself and why this makes you so uncomfortable and allowing all the emotions to sit on the table, all of them, even the ones you'd like to sweep under the rug, the good, the bad, and the ugly for real healing to happen. Threes, we need you in the family too. You're important because you are decisive and hopeful and have this natural desire to efficiently root out problems and win at relationship. But threes, though you might operate in family drama like little lawyers, like we've gathered here today, um, <laughs> this is how this is totally how a three operates. Um, like we've gathered here today to get to the root of the issue and make sure in the end that, of course, that I'm liked in the end, so we can move the heck on, and also to make sure that in the end I'm revered for how how we won at this relationship. That's what you do, threes. That's what we do. But it's not the hard and the humbling part of the healing for us. We're good at that. We're good at coming in and getting things in order. And rooting out the problems so that we can move on efficiently and effectively. But here, threes, hear God's, God's hard and humbling words for you today. What's the goal? Winning and successfully arising from the fight and the fire? Or is the goal the actual relationship itself? This is why threes, it's, it's good for, for us to study and lean into the natural healthy rhythms of a six. So that in growth, we may be loyal to and, and, and cooperate with others on the road to healing, committed deeply to the person and not to the win. Fours, we love you and we need you also in our families because you keep us emotionally real. You won't allow us to sweep things under the rug. You name the good and the bad and the ugly and you emote how it feels appropriate in the moment and how it feels real in the moment to emote, inviting others to do the same with you. This is 
This is you, nat this is your natural inclination force, but this is not the hard and humbling part of the healing that is uniquely yours to own. God's part in this is, is saying to you, force, to whispering those hard and humbling words to you today, force, don't forsake future emotional connection for immediate emotional release. Because for your, your tears, gosh, your tears can feel manipulative. And they will not only cloud your judgment, they will cloud the relationship until the intensity is all that's left to be seen. This is why fours, it's good for you to study and lean into the natural, healthy rhythms of the one so that in growth, you may be principled and objective in the midst of conflict, in the midst of emotional intensity. Fives are our observers. We need you in the family. We need you in family dynamics. In contrast to the fours, you help temper the emotional intensity of the room. You study the situation. You offer your thoughts, often being able to distance yourself from the intensity in order to be able to, to better make sense of all that's going on. This is a gift, fives. But while this comes naturally, this is not the hard and humbling part of the, of the healing that is that is uniquely yours to own. Hear these words from God today for you, fives. They're probably the most simple and a little infuriating. Fives, your family needs you to cry. Your family needs you to lead. Your family needs you to defend. Your family needs you to engage. This is why fives, it's, it's good for you to study and to lean into the natural and healthy rhythms of an eight so that in growth, you may shock the system, shock the system of conflict with confidence and emotional depth and, and decisive resolve right in the middle of the problem and not on the sideline. A tear shed by a five in conflict can tear open the heavens. It has the capacity for so much good. Sixes, we, we love you and we need you in the family because family matters to you probably more than any other number. Preserving relationship, living loyalty, being faithful and committed when, when none of the rest of us want to see it through. And even in the face of every fear, the logical fear that you have, that it will all fall apart. That is your gift to the family. Sharing fears and listening to others. But while that, that comes naturally, that is not the hard and humbling part of the healing that is uniquely yours to own, sixes. And so hear God's hard and humbling words for you today. Sixes, sometimes you care too much and cling too much and listen too intently and read between too many lines that can contribute to 
to, to more emotional intensity, often before intense words have ever even been spoken. You can take a room from zero to 10 and, and, and the real argument hasn't even begun but it's how much you care that takes it there. And so this is why sixes, it's, it's good for you to study and lean into the natural healthy rhythms of a nine so that in growth, relaxed and optimistic for long-term healing and not so, so tightly wound, you may offer an ounce of peace in the relationships you care so deeply for. Finally, sevens. Who doesn't love to have sevens in their families? We need you. We need you sevens. You bring joy in the midst of sorrow, love in the midst of pain, fun in the midst of the mundane, spontaneity and distraction from the expectations and, and the emotional intensity and the bad memories and the buried secrets. This is, this is what you do so naturally. But sevens, while this comes naturally to you, this is not the hard and humbling part of the, of the healing that, is, that God is calling you into. And so hear God's words for you today, these hard and humbling words Provide an outlet from the pain, but don't forsake the people, and don't forsake the pain. Sevens, when the pain and the discomfort gets up to here, avoid running to 23andMe to find a new family, to throw in the towel. This is why, sevens, it's good for you to study and lean into the natural, healthy rhythms of a five, so that in growth, you may distance yourself from the pieces of the pain that make you want to run while remaining focused and observant and always fascinated to see what God may do out of the pain. What is the hard and humbling part of the healing that God is calling you into today, friend? Because there is a part of it for you. There are many parts that are not for you. Many parts that will lead to further pain and destruction. But you have a part to play. How is God calling you to There is peace at the table.